practice these seven keys of relationships is that we are all woven together in the great web of humanity, and whatever we can do to benefit and uplift others will reflect in blessing upon ourselves. By the words of we simply share this word the heavens were made. And if we practice and all the science of developing lasting relationships, by the world gets better. Amen. If we're not loving and we're not patient and we're not humble and we're not affectionate and we're not this or not that, what happens to the world? What happens to the world? And what happens to the whole? Brethren, this is the shortest description of of the creation. Let me read the last again. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. But I like... If it all fails, turn it on. So, I'm sorry. Well, let me start over. Good morning. No, I'm here. I'm going to move on. <laughs> I don't want to have a bad relationship here, you know. So when we talk about relationships, I mean, we have people who are friends and family. And generally, not all the time, but generally, these are the people we're the closest to. And then you have people who are more work-related. These are people... You might actually even see more often because if you work eight hours a day, five days a week, you kind of rub shoulders with people, you're, you're working with them. So these are some of your contacts as well, but you can have shared interests. There's people here, you don't work in the same place outside these walls, do you? For the most part. But you're here and you can become friends because of your shared interests. A shared interest in Christ. A shared interest in this message. And there are people who gather together for other purposes. Maybe on the same bowling team or something. But anyway, people have other ways of greeting people other than family or friends or or work-related. Okay? But when sociologists want to figure out how do our relationships affect our health, they basically look at four different categories, in which we're going to touch on that today. So. They want to know about social isolation for an individual. Because they realize that the fewest, a person with the fewest amount of good relationships is more, has more risk of disease. They're at more risk of anxiety. They're at more risk of all these things. And so it's important to help people who are trapped in some isolation to help them make friends. What can they do to make some contacts? Because this is about mental health, it's about physical health. Because people who feel isolated, and an extreme case of this, of course, is people who are thrown in prison who are uh, war captives, right? And they isolate them, and what happens to them? Oh, they begin to almost kind of lose it mentally, right? It affects them physically. What happens to a newborn if it's not held and has, like, no relationships? Well, it probably will die. It will not It will not grow properly. It won't develop properly. And so we realize that isolation is not good. Isolation. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. Then they look at social integration. And this is how... What is your level of activity, actually? You may go to church, but what's your level of activity in the church? Because a person could attend a pretty large church and still be alone. 
right? Still not really like feel like they're part of the family. It's a little harder to be in that situation in a small church because there's more interaction between people. But in some of these larger churches, people can get lost. Uh, and so it's not a matter of, well, did you attend church? Well, yeah, but are you involved? Do you have friends? Are you part of a Bible study group? Do you go to prayer meeting? What do you, what do, you do in this church? Are you part of some? Do you part of the choir? See, this is all about their involvement in that, the integration part of it. And then it's the quality of the relationships they look at. You know, just because you know ten people doesn't mean all ten people are positive in your life. And so they realize that it, we're talking about good relationships, quality relationships. But quality relationships may be that you've got some toxic relationships too. And there could be people who make you so stressed out, you don't sleep well at night. You know, it, 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 you, you may even live in some fear if it's that bad. Um, and you, you just you kind of suffer mentally and you suffer physically. And so when sociologists look at that and they want to say, oh, what's the effects of these kinds of relationships on your health, mental and physical, they take all these things in consideration. They look at your social network, of course. And that's really the overall web of all these social relationships in this list. So let's look at some of them specifically. Uh, first to note that isolation, loneliness, and solitude are not the same. They're not synonymous. Social isolation simply means a lack of social contact, you know, and it generally it's true that people as they get older keep losing social contacts. The people who seem to be the loneliest in our society are people who are 75 years or older. A lot of their friends have passed away, maybe their spouse has passed away. It was terrible to be 75 in a nursing home during the time of COVID, why? They lost whatever contacts they had. They lost those contacts. But that's those contacts is what gave them a sense of purpose and made them feel better about life and themselves or the life they led. But when people can't talk to them anymore and they're all alone and their friend is the television, it's different. It has an effect on body and the mind. Uh, loneliness is the feeling of being alone uh, and a person can again feel lonely even if they have a lot of social contacts. They're just not ultimately involved in those relationships, but they're kind of around people, uh, feeling lonely. But solitude, people can be alone, and it's more like solitude. It's actually a choice. They kind of like being alone. They do some reflection and things, and like maybe working on some things, and so it's not an unhealthy thing. But they take all these different things into consideration. So let's look a little deeper. Some of the adverse effects of isolation where people just don't have enough contacts, positive contacts with people, is depression and anxiety, uh, poor sleep quality, uh, impaired executive function where it's kind of hard to kind of make decisions and plan things. It's like, boy, I, I just don't have it quite put together. I, I can't do things, you know, like I used to. I'm having some difficulty with my planning and self-control and things like that. Accelerated cognitive decline, poor cardiovascular function, impaired immunity. We know that it affects our immunity and could lead, of course, to substance abuse. 
Uh, health effects of bad relationships. Relationships play a vital role in our overall well-being, and bad or toxic relationships can contribute to many of the same different things, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem. If it's a really, really bad relationship, maybe living in fear. Of course, you lose your sleep and so forth, things like that. might get into uh, some codependency relationship, and you just feel emotionally exhausted. I mean... This person takes away your sleep. They're so negative. It's hard to get it out of your mind. And you just become emotionally exhausted. Whereas people who are very positive in your relationship actually build reserve in you to be able to face life's challenges. But people who are very toxic and take kind of life away from you makes it harder to deal with everyday kinds of challenges. Okay? And uh, causes of the rise of, of, of loneliness, and, and I put up sin because in, in all the studies I looked at, they never mention it. But ultimately, what is the result of isolation? And I'm not talking talk about the person who feels isolated is sinning. All world suffers loneliness because of because of all the sin that's happened throughout six thousand years of human history. We've created a very toxic world. I mean, people go to war and kill each other. I mean, look at Russia and Ukraine right now. That's a very toxic environment. Innocent people simply die. Why? Sin. You add a lot of other kinds of things into the mix. But we wouldn't feel lonely. We wouldn't feel sad if it wasn't for sin. Now, we can look at other things that are more specific, but we see a decrease in community involvement. So when you see the rates of voluntarism lowering, where there's fewer people volunteering to help people, then what are you going to see rise? If you have a decrease in volunteers, you're going to have a rise in loneliness and isolation. Because people are less, less involved in people's lives. Um, if you see an, in, uh, an increasing number of people not being part of a church. So if you have less people going to church, less people believing in God, what are you going to have? A rise in mental health problems, disorders, loneliness, isolation, because they're not praying together, worshiping together. And if more people were going to church and really took their relationship with God more seriously, we would see loneliness drop. And so these are all evidences. This is why we see some of these rises in loneliness. Reduction in marriage rates. Uh, we see less people choosing to get married. We see people choosing to have less kids. Some choosing not to have any kids. So I asked Nathan, of course, Nathan and Janine, I shared, had Julia recently. And I said, you going to have more kids? No, nope, that's it. Number one. Just, that's it. And I remember when Elena and I, she, we had Nathan and then it was Laura. And after she had Laura, I said, more babies? No. no more babies, she says. So, we didn't have any more babies. But we chose to have two. And some people have seven, and some have something else, and whatever. But people overall have less, so there's less interaction in families, because there's less people. Okay? It's just less people. Um, reduction in marriage rates. Oh, I did that Decrease in, in the need for face-to-face -face interaction uh, because of... I mean, have you ever gone to a restaurant? Two people are sitting there, and what are they looking at? Oh, they're just looking at one another's eyes and just, you know. What are they looking at? They're looking at their phones. 
looking at their phones. And so this has taken away some of it. Television took away a lot. Before television, people in the community, sometimes they'd go down to a restaurant or whatever, whether they were going to sit there and have a meal together or just chat or whatever, because there wasn't nothing to compete with that. I mean, they'd work hard. they have a time to meet. Kitchen became the most important place of the house where people would sit around a table and, and talk and so forth. But with the invention of television, people would start congregating around a television instead of visiting people. And so now we have a rise of isolation. Now, the benefits of the healthy relationships, we do know that if you have more healthy relationships, you have less of a risk of a disease, of, of diseases like cancer and, and heart disease and diabetes. We know that you recover more quickly from surgeries. Um, you have all these different health benefits. The more relationships you have, people investing in you and you investing in other people. Uh, it seems that the quality of relationships are more important than the quantity. So uh, let me ask you a question. If I had two good friends and no bad friends, is that better than having three good friends and two bad friends? Which one would you take? You take the first one, you take the two good friends and zero toxic relationships over three good friends and two toxic relationships, right? And so it's not just the amount of friends you have, it is the quality of relationships that you have. Before and after, it will be the birth of Christ, of course. Do you need opposition to be, is that what you're saying? Like you need a toxic? So you mean you have a relationship with someone and the and the only way you can maintain that is always to I like the story I mentioned it in my life. You don't always agree, yeah? So you have opposition. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing, and, and I don't know that we'll get to this because there's, there's a lot of slides here because we you can never talk about relationships in one sermon. It'd take weeks of sermons. The thing is, is one of the things about building relationships is simply respecting the fact that people can hold different opinions. And you'll still be their friend even if they don't agree with you. Because, yeah. And how do you know that three months from now they won't agree with you? And, and so that's what happened when we helped start this one church and I, I we prayed. Alina and I, we moved out, we got this farm out in Wisconsin and we we prayed. There wasn't an Adventist church for 40 miles. And it's not that we're not willing to drive 40 miles. We drive more than that now. It's just that we believe that God wanted us to have a church close to us. And so we we prayed and had said, Lord, give me a Bible study. And so I met this guy named Ray Hill. God orchestrated that. I know he did. And Ray, he was excited about Jesus but he was into secret rapture and mid-trip, post-trip, whatever, you know. And I just listened and listened, and I could have argued the whole time. Because most of what he said I didn't agree with. All I was looking for was something to agree with. And I said, Ray, I believe Jesus is coming back soon, too. Would you like to study the Bible together? Absolutely. Three months later... He believed everything we believe. So just because you start off disagreeing, that's okay. You would expect that in a fallen world. 
Um, because even in a, for ourselves, our opinions have changed over time. So we do give people time to to learn and grow, and we know in the end of time, some people will learn in months what we've taken years to learn. Okay. This I love this statement here because I want all of us to choose to be a twenty-five percenter. So here's the thing: having a friend who's happy and lives close by and can can increase your happiness by as much as twenty-five percent. That's huge. That is huge. So if you think about the seventy-five-year-old in the nursing home, imagine if you could go in there. And increase their happiness by twenty five percent. Would that change things for them? Would you become a friend? Would you have a better chance to share the gospel? Absolutely. You know, and to be a twenty five percent. And you need people like that in your life, and it's and it's good to choose to be that kind of person. You know. Because you can make that kind of a difference. You know, when you think about some of the diseases people have, if they could just have a ten percent improvement in respiration, just to breathe, ten percent better would be huge. To be able to walk ten percent further, it's huge for some people. Be life changing, but you can make someone twenty five percent happier. By being there, and how you talk to them, the things you do for them. See, this is where God's people need to be. We've got to mesh the truth with being a twenty-five percenter. And when you become that kind of a positive influence in people's lives, this is where the gospel is going to really go out. We can buy five more radio stations, but if we all chose to be twenty-five percenters, the gospel will get done quicker. Okay. Having close, positive relationships can give us a purpose and a sense of belonging. So we we need that. Uh, others need that. Have you ever been in a situation, or at some point in your life, you felt kind of low, and God brought someone in your life that said something encouraging, and it got you going again? A few years back. You see, that's important. We out there are so many people. Who are depressed and have anxiety, who don't have a lot of contacts, positive ones, and we can make a difference. You see, I think with our literature, and I have a little booklet. I don't know that I have a copy here, but it was called Kindness Living. Do you remember that little booklet? Anyway, all it asks you to do is write down five people's names and write down a kindness that you'll do for them. Maybe you'll say a kind word, write a kind note. But when you write down the people's names, has that already been a positive effect on you? Just the fact that you're thinking about five people to do a kindness to already makes me more like Jesus. And to take the time to think and pray about what can I do for person number one, and you write it down, and you do that for five people. Has that changed your heart? We begin to think a little bit more like Jesus thought as he looked at people, thought about people, because I think he thought about what he could do to be a blessing to them. That's how he looked at them, not as they are, but what they could become by the blessing that he would bless them with. And if you do that, and then you write it down, because if you write it down, you're more likely to what? Into his 
Actually, well, remember it. That's true. Because uh, someone said, oh, Jeff, did you remember to send me that? Because I know you're 63. Could you imagine that? Uh-huh. Yeah, to actually do that. But it is true. I'm 63, and sometimes I forget to do what I told him I was going to do. I have seen yeah. the sound. So, um, see, now I forgot what I was going to say. So, anyway, so I'll go to the next slide. <laughs> This was a Harvard study that started in 1938, ended uh, not that long ago. Longest uh, running study on human development. The study was developed to determine what makes people happy. They found out it wasn't um, money or anything like that. As we read down the, 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 the um, information, reports down in a 2012 book called Triumphs of Experience. What they found that what ultimately made people happy wasn't wealth and it wasn't fame and it wasn't positions. It was what? It was relationships. You know, when I when I did some evangelistic work down in uh, Colombia, I saw some of the happiest people I'd ever seen in my life. But you will see it only. They didn't own much, but they were happy. Family, thankful for what they had. You know, just enjoying the things of nature, a much simpler life without the stress of keeping up with the Joneses and keep everything functioning. And and I think God designed us to live a simple Intellectual life and not complicate it so much. This is some of the, the, the downside of, of, of a toxic relationship. Um, there was a 2015 study done in the United Kingdom. And this had a whopping number. 43% of young people aged 10 to 15 reported having been bullied. It's almost one out of two kids in elementary, middle school being bullied. So this would be basically grades five through, you know, whatever. Look at this. Of those kids that were bullied, 30% had suicidal thoughts. Now, had they not been bullied, they don't have those kinds of thoughts. You see what I'm saying? Bad relationships do affect us. 29% reported self-harm. Self-harm could be suicidal attempts, but if you separate the two, they don't attempt to take their life, but they might bruise themselves, hit themselves, cut themselves, do different things to harm themselves. Just everything short of taking their life. 29%. That's huge. 27% skipped classes. 14% used drugs and alcohol, which could be part of self-harm. 14% 14% developed an eating disorder, which could be part of self-harm. 12% run away from a home, and 6 engaged in risky behavior, which include things like um, drugs and so forth, and some things I won't mention. Okay? But it's all a result of a bad relationship. Relationships by age, I mentioned this a little earlier, those who are 65 or older were found to be the least satisfied with their personal relationships of any age group. For almost half of those over 65, their main source of company was reported as the television or pets. People age 75 and over are the least likely to have at least one close friend, with 11% having no close friend at all. Does that, those statistics help us to think of some opportunity evangelistically? You know, when if you've ever been part of a church where there's like a sunshine band or something where you go into a nursing home 
and you'd be singing and you'd maybe turn into some studies maybe. It makes a difference. And there, there are opportunities to get involved in people who are elderly. There would be. And it's worth looking at. I, I pray about it. Maybe you're just the right person who can walk in and be a 25 percenter and uh, cheer up someone who and statistically is not likely to have many friends. Okay. Changes in life, of course. Um, we generally see adulthood as being a, a way of stability. People get married, they have kids, da-da-da-da-da. But things change. One out of two of those marriages end in divorce, and now there's a loss. Um, the kids grow up and they what? They just lost some relationships there. The empty, the, the nest is empty, has a psychological effect on us. Um, you need, we need to replace these kinds of relationships. Uh, retirement. You know, these people you worked with five days a week that you saw every day, you're retired. You don't even see these people anymore. Unless you've got some other connection with them. Imagine that at that age you have lost all kinds of contacts right there. And think about how important relationships are. Relocation. You know, some people are, think about moving, but think about if you move, guess what? you got to make all new relationships again. And I'm not trying to discourage you from moving somewhere. It's just that you've got to invest to replace those relationships. Okay? And then, of course, bereavement, the loss of a loved one. So I, I want to kind of finish up with this, that um, when we talk about intelligent design, what did God do to help us have good relationships. What does the Bible say? Well, I'm going to begin with this. Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. And if we abide in him, we'll produce good fruit. Almost no therapy out there tells you that the way to make more friends is to start with Jesus. But is it a true statement? It is true. Because if what he just said is true, he's the vine and I'm the branch, the only way I can produce good fruit in my relationships is by my connection to him. And you can try all you want to have good relationships without Jesus, but they're going to be average at best. They won't be that kind of relationship where the person's praying for you, investing in you, and selfishly. Those kinds of relationships are vital. Okay? If you've got someone that you can pray with, that can share an encouraging word from the Bible with, you're a very rich person. And in our church, we need to make sure everybody has that kind of friend. Okay? I'm probably not going to get to that part of the sermon. I'll have to continue it next time. Is that okay? How much time do I have now? Am I already over? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I got to leave, you know. Because there's a lot of points I wanted to make about, well, what do we do now? How do I actually develop relationships? We won't be able to get that tonight. I'm sorry. But, but if we're connected to Jesus, produce good fruit, look at the fruit we can have. The fruit of the Spirit. If I receive the love of Jesus in my relationship, is that better than me trying to love them with my, with my natural love? 
Because in, in the Bible, I, we're all born with phileo love. That's the kind of love, hey, you love your pets, you love your friends, you know, whatever. But agape love is something we're not born with. Agape love is your willingness to even give your life for people. We're not born with that. But we can have it. To have that kind of person in your love that, life that loves you that much that there's nothing they wouldn't do for you to help you get to heaven, help you to be healthier and happier. That friend themselves would have to be connected to the vine to have that kind of love. And we would too, to be that 25 percenter. Joy, peace, Peace from where? Connected to Jesus. Jesus is is the peace that Jesus can give different than the peace we have in the world. Because the peace in heaven is the kind of peace where there's no more envy. There's no more hatred. Could you imagine receiving that kind of nourishment from Jesus that in your life there's no more envy? Why? That means I could have a good relationship with someone who, who's got more than me, but it's okay. There's no more envy. I want them to be enriched by Christ's presence. There's no more hate. No matter what they've done to me or said or whatever, there's no more hate. I have peace. And if I'm going to be that kind of friend, then I have to be connected to Christ. Because if I'm not connected to Christ, there's no possible way I could be that kind of friend. And so really, when we're talking about good mental health and we're talking about how the world experiences healing truly, it all begins with people's connection to Christ. And how would I know? You know, John says, we know that we've passed from death unto life. We know we've, we've gone from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. As it says, because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. A good test is, do I love people more today? than I did yesterday or last year. And if I love people more now because I'm investing more, I'm taking more time to be kind. I'm making efforts. Then I know God's working in me. Working in Does that make sense? So let's look at... I'll maybe just close with this one. And then next time I'm here in two weeks, we'll actually look at specific things we can do to develop these relationships. Okay? Seem fair enough? But notice what this says in the wonderful devotional Lift Him Up. Man created for what? Fellowship with God. Can only in such fellowship find his what? His real life and development. Created to find in God his highest joy. He can find in nothing else than that which quiet, uh, which can quiet the cravings of the heart can satisfy the hunger and thirst of the soul. And yet people look for friendships, they look for this, and they completely look for it outside of Christ. And yet it is by virtue of my connection to Christ where I was actually created to have fellowship with him that allows me to have the best relationships anyone can have in the world. And part of coming to a church is because you know that in this place, you're more likely to find a lifelong friend who will do you good than if you went to a bar or you went to some other place, right? 
You know, the average time that most people have close, a close friend is 17 years. And, you know, people die, people move, things change in life, you know, just a lot of things happen. But you, you've got to keep investing, you've got to keep meeting people, you know. And you've got to make some efforts. And when we'll talk next time, how can I approach people in a way that I, I can develop a friendship? Is that important? What is the way I should be thinking and things I could be doing that can help me make a difference in someone else's life and yet have a, a, a friendship that helps me? And ultimately, the church is for that. The church is where you should be able to find friendships that help you draw closer to Christ and enable you to make more of a difference in the lives of others. Before we have our closing uh, prayer, our closing hymn is number 574. That's the reason they crucified him. Just before the second coming, they will grant divinity to the Antichrist or Antichrist. Whether it's a Hungarian version or American version doesn't make any difference, brethren. The Antichrist is Antichrist. No divinity. No worship. I love the story, Daniel. And then John the Revelator, when John the Revelator tells us a story, I'm just repeating this, you know all this. I'm just refreshing your mind. Are you with me? You know, when John saw all what that angel showed him, he fell down and started to worship the angel. And immediately Gabriel says, no, no, John, no, 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 no. You worship God alone. You worship God alone. And brethren, that's still true. It's still true. Lord, Uh, <coughs> <coughs> Last week I, I had a real crisis, health, health crisis. I had such a high fever last Sabbath. Uh, all cold sores came out on my upper lips. I was struggling. My temperature was high. My brain was just pulsating like this. Woke up at 4 o'clock and I said to myself, if I have a stroke, uh, I will die here and nobody will know. At least for a day or two. At least. Mom, the Lord saved my life. I am not dead. But I, I consider it a privilege to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Amen. But don't you ever 
think that you will be less tempted to enter the heavenly Canaan than biological Israel was tempted to prevent them entering from the earthly Canaan. No, no, brethren. The devil is determined to keep you out. To keep you out. Uh, I'm... This is not a sales pitch. This is a gift, okay? I am not corporatering. I'm giving it to you. But in this book that most county fairs where the church goes, we pass it out. And spiritualism, likewise, these are... At the end... There is a dictionary to help you. And one of the words they explain is apostasy. Now you would say, oh, I know that word. I know that word. Let me give you an illustration that I read in the book Futurism's Incredible Journey by Stephen Bohr. Are you with me? And by the way, when the quarter is over, put that quarterly in the same box, same envelope, because this quarterly helps you this will give you some additional information that is not in the quarterly, but take your quarterly, put it in. And if you can buy the book, Futurism's Incredible Journey by Stephen Bohr. Let me give you the illustration. Apostasy. How many remember the name of Cardinal, at, at that time he was not a cardinal, he was just John Newman, a young English clergyman in the Anglican Church, but in the high tradition. The high tradition meant really honoring ritualism. Are you, are you with me? And he read an essay by a fellow Englishman that tried to prove in that essay that the Roman Catholic Church is not in apostasy. Only have mistakes. Yes, the church has made some theological mistakes, but the church is not an apostate church. John Newman 
accepted this definition. He went to Rome, apologized because he criticized Rome. He criticized Rome. And ultimately, they exalted him and he became one of the most prominent cardinal in England who tried to lead England back to the Roman Catholic fold. On that one issue, is the church in apostasy, or is the church only mistaken here and there? Brethren, definitions and their applications have far-reaching consequences. Following? Now, one more closing illustration. I started late, you know. (laughs) I'm just reminding you. Shortly after the minister of Christ, John was imprisoned. And Judas was one of those disciples who said that we have to make a radical move and take John out of prison. Somehow, this got to the disciples of John, too, and created doubt in his mind. You remember in the scripture reading, we just said it, that John sent two of his disciples asking one question. Are you the one or should we look for another? Now, brethren, do we recognize the seriousness of this issue? If he was not the one, his whole life ministry, his testimony, his what was his testimony when he baptized Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. And what was the testimony of Zechariah and the prophecy of Zechariah? Everything would go down in the drain. Are you with me? But why did doubt had an influence on John the Baptist? After all, he lived a temperate life. He didn't drink alcohol. He did not associate with loose people. His lifestyle was very conservative. Everything was A1. Why? How did he come to these doubts? Brethren, may I say this? There's a lesson for you and for me in it. 
It's not just an interesting story. There is a lesson in it for us. None of us, I don't want to offend you, but I repeat, none of us have a, a record like John the Baptist. How come he begin to doubt? You know what's the reason? Because he had misconceptions of the work of the Messiah. Misconceptions. So when the two disciples of John came, Jesus says, yes, stay with me. Those two disciples stayed with Jesus all day. You read that in Desire of Ages, but no speed reading, okay? No speed reading. And hour after hour, the sick came, the lame, the deaf, the blind, the evil possessed, devils were cast out, everything. And when the day was over, Jesus says, tell John what you have seen. The gospel is preached. And blessed is he who is not offended in just tell John. Brethren, that was enough. That was enough. John's confidence in Jesus was not conditional whether he frees me from prison or does not free. Are you with me? Are you going to tell the Lord how to manage his kingdom? If you read carefully, the greatest blessing for centuries, for those martyrs who have been, had been imprisoned unjustly, the story of John provided the greatest anchor. But Judas didn't see that. You have to have an anointing in order to see. So, let me close. The issue is do I desire to know the truth? Because do I love the truth? Nothing else matters. Nothing else. Um, could I have two volunteers? Before you take off your shoes. Or uh, I have the envelope. Would you kindly pass it out? Uh, just take a 